I was going to church now. I was listening to sermons and trying to read the Bible. I was, I was new in this. And I said, oh no, me and that, it's over between us. I was like, we are never, ever, ever getting back together. I am never going to go back to that. But I went back. And I was sitting there, it was Sunday, I was sitting up on my bed and I was thinking to myself, why are you even considering going back to church? What's the point? You haven't changed. You're the same you were. Who you think you're fooling? I was stuck in this nightmare of condemnation. And there are parts of me that fought and said, no, 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 don't, don't worry about it. It wasn't that bad, but I knew better. It was that bad. And there was another part of me that said, no, 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 just never go back. This is silly. This Jesus might work for everyone else, but he doesn't want to have anything to do with you. Condemnation. How do you deal with condemnation? It's a rough one because we all go through it and many of us deal with it in different ways. There are ways that when we feel the condemnation, when we've actually sinned, we're asking ourselves the question, how do we deal with it in Christ? How does the gospel address the condemnation that you and I will go through? Because we're going to go through it. Because here's the deal. None of us are innocent. The stuff we feel condemned about, it's not fantasy. Much of it is history. And so there's no going, well, I didn't know, or well, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? When I tell you what some people do, what some people do is they fall on this side and they go, you know what? It's no big deal. Sin is not as bad as it is. They contradict the scriptures. God thinks sin is so bad that he has to give his life, bleed out to pay the penalty for sin. But there are those of us who go, no, sin is not that bad. We're not that bad. That's one way to go about it. The other Another way we can go about it is we can say, you know what? I just won't ever get this. I need to separate myself. You know what's the most frequent way people deal with their sin? When they're like me and it's the morning after and they're reflecting back on what they've done, they go, you know what I'm going to do? They do what Eve and Adam did. They hide. They hide. So they stop going to church. They stop connecting with other Christians. They stop reading the scriptures. They hide from God. You know, you might have, you might have come back uh, to uh, this congregation and this church service less than like, uh, you know, maybe a few weeks ago, maybe less than a year ago. And maybe that's your story. You thought it was like, oh no, it was just a bunch of hypocrites and I left. But what it really was, was that you were found yourself in a series of sin and you felt the condemnation coming over you like a blanket in the winter time. And you felt, I can't go back there. 
And boy, that might have lasted a week or a month or might have lasted 20 years. But now you find yourself here. How do we deal with it? And there's all sorts of condemnation, right? There's the condemnation that we feel about the things that we've done, like the sin that we've done. Ways that we acted. Maybe it's with our children. Maybe it's with our spouse. The reason that the divorce happened was because of your infidelity. The reason that the kids don't speak to you was because of your bad behavior. You're using. You're acting out. And there's no denying it. And there's no, dis uh, the, there's no denying it. There's no disguising it. It's just where we're at. How do we deal with that? I want you to know that the gospel speaks to us about this. And if you're here, there's good news in Christ. We gotta go to the gospel. We can't do what the world says to do. We can't ignore or minimize. And we can't run away and hope that if we put the blanket over our heads, that it'll just not be true. So in this series, as we're dealing with these difficult emotions, we're asking the question, how does the gospel help us? Well, we're going to come back to the text. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says a very famous verse. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to see some things here. Therefore, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, what I want you to do is I want you to ask, what's the therefore there for? Because whenever you see a therefore or a for, whenever you see that, what the sentence you're about to read is connecting with the idea or the thought that you just read previously. Now in Romans chapter 7, it speaks about... Uh, um, uh, Wicked man that I am. It's not the word wicked, but it's the one that's coming to me. Who will deliver me from this body of sin? Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of sin? In other words, Paul had just finished talking about how his body is connected to sin and how he goes back and the things that he doesn't want to do, he winds up doing. And the things, the good things that he wants to do, he avoids altogether. He goes, what's going to, what, what hope is there for me? And he goes, he goes, thanks be to God in Christ Jesus. And because God in Christ Jesus has saved us, we have hope. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. None. I know. I know you're bad. Me too. I'm the worst person here. I promise you. I, pro I know you think, oh no, he doesn't know my story. I promise you, I'm the worst person here. Therefore, there's no condemnation even for me. But it's an interesting thing because it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in 
Christ Jesus, which suggests that there is condemnation for those who are not in Jesus. And if that is offensive, or if your, if your liberal sensibilities are offended by that, then what I would just suggest to you is that you listen, just indulge me for this, and I have no right to ask you to indulge me, but I just want you to come along. That there really is, that your conscience really is saying something true. And that to ignore it is to ignore it to your own destruction. That there really is this thing called God's wrath. And it really does. It really does. God doesn't wink at sin. Imagine. Imagine your God. Imagine your God. And you're just like, yeah, don't worry about it. Do whatever you want to do. Hurt whoever you want. Hitler, come on over here. It doesn't matter what you did. Just come over here. No, no, no. There really is. In fact, the reason that the Christian doesn't have to get back or have revenge on those who have hurt them is because we can trust God with that. That there really is a punishment for those who are not in Christ. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for what? For those who are in Christ Jesus. But here's the problem. You and I, we don't believe that. There might be no condemnation for the people on that side of the room, but for the people on this side of the room, nah, there's condemnation. You don't understand. I bet. As a pastor, you have, to, you have to understand, I hear more confessions than the Brooklyn DA. And so I get it from all sides. I know the mom who on a crack run left her baby crying for two days in the crib. I know. I know the guy who just different atrocities. The guy who was unfaithful to his wife. The girl who ran away from her family. The person who blew everything up. Man, this condemnation thing, it comes over us and it's very difficult to be free from it. So what do we do? We come back to the gospel because God knows that we're going to struggle with this. And so how do we live this out? Even if it's true, I don't know how to live it out. And the way we live it out is our big idea for today. It's brokenhearted boldness. That's our big idea. I didn't give you a line for brokenhearted boldness, but put it somewhere on your sermon map. Oh, by the way, in your bulletin, if you got a bulletin, there's a sermon map, what we call a sermon map. It helps you to stick along with uh, the, the message today. And not only that, it helps you to have uh, take notes. It's a really easy way. So if you don't have one, if you just raise your hand, someone will bring you either a pencil or a writing utensil or uh, a bulletin. So go ahead and... Raise your hand high so that they can see where you are. Okay. 
So today we're going to talk about brokenhearted boldness. As Christians, we are given the opportunity to come to God in a brokenhearted yet bold way. Brokenhearted because we really know that what we've done is wrong, but bold because we really know that what God has done is effective. Does this make sense? Brokenhearted because we're really guilty and bold because God has really given us his righteousness. It's a brokenhearted boldness. You see, if you don't, if God, if your sin is not that bad, then God is no big deal. God just gets reduced down to a set of principles that you follow and so that you can be, consider yourself a good person. It's, see, if your sin is not that bad, then your salvation is not that good. And so we come with a broken-hearted, broken-hearted boldness. No, God is really that good. He really does forgive sin. It's a broken-hearted boldness. So today what we're going to look at, as we look at that Romans 8.1, we're going to look at this reflected and how it was really done, but it, uh, um, how broken-hearted boldness looks like. I'm going to teach you how to do it, but we're going to look at it through a book that you have not read yet. Chances are. We're going to go into the book of Micah. I know most of you did your devotionals on Micah this morning, right? You just opened the Bible. It's like, oh, Micah, yay. And so it's like you were just reading it. And it's like, oh, so cool that the pastor's talking about my devotionals. I know. But today we're going to look at it. I want to teach you a little bit about what's happening in the book of Micah. Micah is a prophet. And Micah is speaking to a people who are 100% guilty. They have run away from God. They have totally abandoned. They've turned their back on God. They've thought God is no big deal. It's not like God cares. And even if God cares, so what? He ain't going to do nothing. And what? God. That's how they are. They've turned their backs on God. And so Mike, uh, Micah wants to bring them to their senses. So he tells them, I want you to know that this is not going to end well for you. And it goes back and forth in the book of Micah. There's this moments of judgment. And then, but and then Micah does this interesting thing. So in the moments of ju judgment, Micah says, listen to me, the way you're behaving is going to lead to your own destruction. The Assyrians are going to start it. The Babylonians are going to finish. But boy, you're going to be wiped out. You have no idea what your rebellion is doing. Turn from your sin. Turn from your guilt. Turn from your shame. Don't continue in this way of life. You're hurting yourself. And they're like, nah, I'm good. I'll take another round. But Micah does this interesting thing. If you read it, it's this beautiful, boy, some parts will keep you up at night. But there are other parts of Micah where it's like, oh, wait, your sin is not going to have the last word. Neither is the punishment that you justly deserve. There's mercy and compassion in God. And so God's mercy is going to have the last word. God's love is going to have the last word. God his pursuit is going to have the last word. 
And so that brings us to Micah, chapter 7, verses, I believe in your bulletin is 8 through 10. Is that what you guys got? 7 through 9? Okay, perfect. That's what I have in mind. Okay, so would you just stand with me? Now, if you read Micah, chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, you'd be like, whoa. It's like, oh, Poppy's coming with the belt and it's on and popping. It's like that. The whole six verses in chapter 6. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and says something powerful. Here's what he says in Micah chapter 7, verse 7. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. After everything that was said, after all the truth of how guilty I am and how much I deserve the condemnation that, I, that I've accrued to myself, he says, but as for me, all that's true, but for me, I watch and hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior, my God will hear me. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath. Until he pleads my case and upholds my cause, he will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. And that's where we end God's word. Have a seat. So the question is, how do Christians fight against condemnation? Well-deserved, historic, connected to truth condemnation. How do we fight against it? Well, there's three things that we're going to learn today, how to fight against it. We're going to learn to hold out for salvation. We're going to learn to hug the cactus. And we're going to learn to hope in pain. Let's start with the first one. Hold out for salvation. You see that in Micah 7, 7? But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. You see, when you and I are struggling with the condemnation that we so richly deserve, there's a moment where we need to take a pause and just go, oh, wait. I, there's another voice that needs to speak here. There's another voice. I deserve the condemnation that I, I'm receiving, but there's another voice that needs. He says, I'm going to wait on the Lord. I'm not going to flee from God. I'm not going to minimize sin. I'm not going to act like this is no big deal. I'm going to wait on the Lord. He is able. I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Savior, my God will hear me. I know you think when you're, uh, when, when you've sinned and you reflect, you go, oh gosh, I can't even pray. No, 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 no. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. In fact, what else are you going to do if you're not going to pray? Despair is the only option. You can't change the past. And so we got to run to God. We got to run to him. We got to wait on him. We have a God who forgives sins and gives mercy. 
You go, but you don't understand. What I've done, I've done as a Christian. This wasn't like way back when. This was like Tuesday. I go, I know, me too. Listen to me. We hold out and wait on the Lord. Now, we wait on the Lord. What does that look like? It doesn't mean doing nothing. It means actively waiting on the Lord. So we wait on the Lord, not like sitting still doing nothing. We wait on the Lord like waiting on an Amazon package. Have you ever waited on an Amazon package? Okay, so if I just say, if I say to you, wait on your Amazon package, what do you do? You take out your phone and you go, oh, there's a tracker there. Oh, look, it went from point A to point B. Oh, look, it went from point B to point 15 minutes later. Oh, look, it's a, it hasn't moved. Oh, I think it moved a little inch there. And it's like on its way, right? So what, what are you doing? You are actively anticipating. This is coming. Oh, I'm ready. It's, it's going to get here. It's right here. I'm waiting on the Lord. He's on his way. He hasn't, it hasn't been delivered. You don't get the picture to say that it's on the door front and all that other stuff, but you got to know, oh, it's, I'm, I'm waiting on the Lord. It's anticipation. God is coming. God is moving in a powerful way. God is moving in your direction. I'm waiting on the Lord. We're holding out for salvation. It's coming. And like you might think, oh, but I've been waiting seven years. Listen, sis. Listen, bruh. It's closer than you think. It's right. Just, I'm waiting on the Lord for his salvation. Now, there's something that we need to know about salvation. So salvation works in like three different tenses in the Bible. If you get this wrong, you get a lot wrong in the Bible. Okay. So what I mean by three different tenses is that salvation works in a past tense way. We were saved. That's why you read in the Bible, we were saved, but then you keep on reading in the Bible and then it says we are being saved. It's like a present tense. So it's like the past tense. And it's go, you go, which one is it? Were we saved or are we being saved? And the answer, of course, is yes. And then the Bible makes it even more complex and says we will be saved. So we were saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. Which one is it? Yes, it's all of them. We were saved in Christ. He has done everything that we need for our salvation. He has given us his righteousness. He has taken away our sin guilt. It is a beautiful work that Christ has done in the past. We reflect on what Christ has done to establish what Christ is doing. He has saved us. But also, we are being saved, right? We are looking, and it's not looking at an app, it's opening up the scriptures and reading more and going, oh, look, he's doing a work in my soul, and I'm not a finished product yet, but look, he's doing it. We went from point one to point one and a half. We are moving somewhere. We are being saved. But if you're like me and you've been a Christian for over a quarter of a century, you go, oh boy, you look forward to, ah, and I will be saved because I'm not nearly as far along as I wish I was. We're being saved. We hold out for God's salvation. He has saved us and he's doing a work in us now and we can trust him because we can trust him with what he has done in the past and what he is doing in the present. We can trust him for the future salvation. Listen, beloved, wherever you're at, whether it's your marriage or maybe your singleness, 
It's with your kids or maybe your parents. You feel bad. You feel the condemnation come over you. No, no, no. You're being saved. He's doing something. Hold out for salvation. Do you see that in verse 7? Okay, let's keep going. Not only do we hold out for salvation, but we hug the cactus. What on earth do I mean by that? I didn't invent that. Um, uh, I think it was Robert Downey Jr. who was giving a speech after he came back and he said that Mel Gibson said something like, you have to hug the cactus. And basically what I've said uh, in the past uh, is sometimes you got to kiss that devil on the lips. Sometimes you got to kiss that devil on the lips. Like in other words, Satan ain't lying. It's true, but you see it right here. Look at what it says in verse 8 and 9. So write this down. Hug the cactus. That's our second point. And look at what it says in verse 8 and 9. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Okay, so what Micah is doing is he gives the judgment, but and then he gives like this. By the way, what we're reading here is like a song or a hymn or a poem. And he's talking about what God is going to do. So it's actually quite beautiful. And he says this, he goes, he goes, he, he uh, personifies Jerusalem like a woman. And here's what she says. The people of God say, don't gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Why? Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath. In other words, we are not minimizing our past. We're not acting like it wasn't any big deal. We're not saying, well, it wasn't that bad or I didn't know any better or no, 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 it was that bad. It was worse. It was really bad. It was way, way bad. And we got to just embrace it. Like, look, I'm not making any more excuses for myself. This is, it deserves God's wrath. So let's talk about that for a second. If you are in Christ, now remember how I said at the very beginning of the service that I'm speaking to Christians, people who say, Jesus, I'm a terrible sinner. You are a wonderful savior. You came from heaven to earth to live the life that I should have lived, but I did not. And you died the death that I deserve to die, but I don't have to because you've done it for me. And so now I live and surrender my life unto you. That's a Christ follower. Now, if you are a Christ follower, your wrath is behind you. If you are not a Christ follower, the wrath, or I should say, if you are a Christ follower, the wrath of God is behind you. If you are not a follower of Christ, then the wrath of God is ahead of you. It's something to look forward to. You go, I don't like that at all. Me too. I'm just letting you know. It's ahead of you. And so, when we see a sentence like this in the scriptures, because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath. We have to put it in context. Now, there is, for the Christian, a sort of wrath but we got to clarify it. It's not the wrath of uh, a prison guard saying, uh, get back in your cell. You're not coming. You know, you're going to go to 
solitary confinement for the rest of your stay in prison. It's not that. For the Christian, the wrath of God is more like a father's disappointment. It's like, what you did was terrible. I had good and safety. I had beauty and wonder planned for you. And I'm not happy about this at all. What you did, I am disappointed. What you did, I am saddened by. But it's not a breaking off of the relationship. And so we got to hug the Christ. Yes, what I did was wrong. And it deserves God's wrath. But look, it says, though I sit in darkness. It's true. It's true. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. The Lord will be my light. So I just got to hug the cactus and go, this is true, but you're good. Do you see how those two live together? Like I'm that bad, but you're that good. You see it here. I have fallen. I will rise. I sit in darkness. You will be my light. Do you see? Both happen at the same time. It's because if you just if, if it's just darkness, you'd fall into despair. And if it's just light, you don't ever get to repent over the very real sin of your life. And you know what that happens, right? You get you stay stuck. You go back to the same thing over and over again, you know, expecting different results. No, no, no. We hug the cactus. We say, this is horrible and I can't pretend anymore. But God is with me and he'll, he'll be with me even in it all. So first we hold out for salvation. Second, we hug the cactus. Third, we hope in pain. Micah 7, 9b says, well, I'll just read all of 7, 9. Because I've sinned against them, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and upholds my cause. He will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. Do you see the progression here with the light? In verse 8, he says, Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. And here at the end of verse 9, he says, He will bring me out into the light. The Lord will be my hope and he will lead me to a better place. He is my light and he will lead me into the light. We have our hope in pain. How do we fight against condemnation? We fight against it with this broken hearted boldness with a willingness to say, yes, what I've done is wrong. And at the same time saying, but what God has done is greater. The idea of like, you know what? I know that God forgives me, but you know what the problem is? I can't forgive myself. Beloved, can I just, can I push you on that idea? Here's the problem with that idea. It sounds humble but it's really unbelievably arrogant. It's super arrogant. I know that God forgives me, but you know what? I just can't forgive myself. Could you imagine? Think about how arrogant that is. You know what you're saying. 
that your opinion matters to you more than God's opinion. Like think about being in a court. Think, think about being in a court and, and, and the judge says, you got to pay $75 for your uh, speeding ticket. And you go, judge, I know what you just declared about that ticket, but let me tell you what I declare about that ticket. I don't owe any money. It won't go well for you. Could you imagine being in a murder trial? Going, judge, and, and imagine being in a murder trial and he goes, not guilty. And then you going to the judge, you go, judge, 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 wait, 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 before everybody leaves. I know you declared me not guilty. Guilty, send me to jail. It's like, no, 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 you weren't there. You were in another state. You couldn't have possibly done it. The, the, the fingerprints don't match uh, the thing. Nobody saw you there. It was a total miscarriage of justice. It ain't you. Oh, no, I know what you said, but I'm telling you, send me to jail. I'm guilty. You know what they would do? They would send you to an insane asylum. Because there's just no other, right? Because it's crazy. Isn't it crazy? You wouldn't go, how humble. Oh my gosh, they're just so humble. No, you would go, they're so stupid or crazy. But that's what you and I do when we say, you know, I know God forgives me, but I, I just can't forgive myself. See, it's, 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 it's not, we're making it silly now and I know, but, it, but we're talking about serious stuff. But here's the point that I want to make. What an arrogant, what an arrogant, th there's something you need to repent about. There's another thing. How foolish of you that you think somehow that your opinion is worth more than Christ's sacrifice. That what God says about you is not quite as legitimate as what you say about you. Beloved, come back to the gospel. Fight against the condemnation that so fills the script in the movie in your mind. Fight against it, not with secular truth. You ain't that bad. You're not that. No, no, no. But with God, yeah, I, I am that guilty. It's that and worse, but God is that much and better. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace all the more. It says in Romans 3. Where sin abounds. In other words, where sin is plentiful, grace is even more plentiful. Now, I know that there are some of you here who the light of the gospel is so dim. You have so little light of the gospel that you hear me say that and you go, oh, where sin abounds, grace all the more. Oh, I'm going to go ahead and sin. Let me sin some more. Because if God forgives everything, then let me sin some more. The Bible has another quote for you. Their condemnation is deserved. In other words, you're just proving that you're not in Christ. Imagine, think about this. Imagine being married and your spouse comes up to me and says, do you love me? And, and you say, you know, I love you. He goes, are you ever going to leave me? I ain't ever going to leave you. Do you think you can forgive me for anything? I'll forgive you for everything. You're the love of my life. 
Baby, I'm so glad you said that because I'm gonna go out and paint the town red. You got any condoms you can lend me? Because I need to go out and do my thing. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? You couldn't imagine that, right? Because no one would be that crazy and no one would be that evil to take the love that you give them and use that love as the basis for betraying you. See, see, here's my point. If you say, oh, well, if God forgives everything, let me, y'all, party over here. If that's your story, then you don't know Jesus. You need to repent and come to Christ now. And that's a very, remember we just talked about the wrath. If you're a Christian, God's wrath is behind you. You could look at how terrible your sin looks like when you look at how God punished sin in our God, Christ Jesus. So come to him. So here's our final word. When condemnation comes for the Christian, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How do we respond then when the, in the morning after? How do we respond? Well, here's what we do. We hold out for our salvation. We hug the cactus and we hope in the midst of the pain. Like when the kids remind you, mama, you weren't there. Mm -hmm. That's true. Now, if we do this, this will change your whole life. You know why? Because you won't have to defend yourself anymore. You know, like when others, all right, you know how like when others accuse you of your past, mama, you know what you did. Papa, you left us all. You can, instead of, now, if you're immature, what you'll do is you go, nah, Jesus has forgiven me. If, you, if you're holding on to that, then that's on you. Well, that's a horrible, unrepentant way to respond to someone else's broken heart. You know what, you know what brokenhearted boldness does for us? You go, I can't imagine what my actions did to hurt you. Now you and I know that we've been forgiven in Christ, but we get to enter into other people's broken hearts. You go, I can't imagine what it did to you. Son, I left you when you were nine years old. This is terrible. And I don't deserve your love. I don't even deserve this conversation that you've given me. And if you, and if you would, my prayer is that the Lord would give us opportunity so that I could hear your pain, be more brokenhearted, and then go back to the Lord and do what we just said. It's not about ignoring it or pushing it to the side or stuffing it under a bed or a carpet, but it's about going to Jesus and saying, okay, okay. I can feel your pain because I have someone to go with my pain. I can hear your brokenheartedness because I have someone to go to with my brokenheartedness. I can walk into your tears because there's someone who walks with me in mine. You see, that's why there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It'll change your life. Now, for this week, here's what I want you to do. For this week, I want you to, when the condemnation comes in because of what you did to your husband or wife or what you did to your kid, your son or your daughter or what you did to the job or your boss or what you did to your family or your mom or your whatever. When the guilt comes back this week, I want you to go, God, 
I know that was bad. Would you, would you help me to run to you? Help me to run to you. And then what I want you to do is if you would just go over this text. Now, the reason that we give you these pieces of paper is so that you could take them with you. Now, if you don't want to carry a piece of paper, you take a picture of it, put it on your fridge. And when it comes, you just go over, oh, wait, I'm going to hold out for God's salvation. I'm going to hug the cactus. I'm going to hope in pain. And we get to see Jesus move deeply.